Today I will believe and confess that Jesus Christ was wounded for my transgression. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. All right, praise the Lord. All right, today, if I could, I want you to go to Psalm 91. And that's where we're going to start. And then we're going to go through a couple other little verses there. And we'll deal with our message here. We'll start at Psalm 91. And we're going to read here beginning at verse, just verse 11 through 16 is what we're going to read. Psalm 91 beginning at verse 11. We'll read 11 through 16. Beginning at verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, if you would, go with me to the New Testament, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 4. Let's look at Luke chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 9 through 13. Luke chapter 4. And we'll look at verse 9 through 13. And here we are in the temptation of Jesus. And at beginning at verse 9, it says, And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. All right. Go with me now. Just flip over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, last book before you get to James. Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to read a couple verses there. Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read verse 11 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. Here we go. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Last place I want to go is to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to read verse 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. All right. Now, let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you once again just to be able to come into the house as your family, to partake of the word of God that we might try as best we can to learn of you. We walk and tread slowly upon this area and ground that we might hear the Spirit of God speak to our hearts and we might apply your word to our life. Father, we ask it even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. You know, yesterday I had several conversations, um, various people I was talking to, and I was very comfortable, it appears at least in this local assembly, that we've kind of established, I think, God's unreproachable character and God's goodness, that God is not a, the enemy of man. He never has been. And even though in places where God declares and says, I heal and I kill and all these things, God really was making a declaration of his sovereignty, that he is sovereign. It's, it's God that rules the universe. It's God who created everything. It's God who is in charge of everything. God alone. No other God beside him, even though when Jesus came, he showed us some insight and gave us some insight into what was happening in the realm of the spirit, that Satan had fallen from heaven and that Satan was the one who actually, after perverting the planet, brought in sickness, death, disease, all the violence that we see. He is the perpetrator of all of it. And although God may, quote-unquote, allow these things to happen, God is not, when it's over, we said, the one who is doing these things. It appears that everyone is comfortable and, I think, got that. So now I want to move to the other side of the equation. The other side that is the most troubling side of the equation, knowing God's character and how he is, how should the believer respond to their trouble and to things that are going on? One of the most perplexing dissertations, I don't like to call them stories because it's, it's real what happened. And I had a conversation a little bit about that yesterday again with someone, is the story of Job. And when you look at Job's life and you look at everything that occurred, it's very perplexing in terms of what occurs and how it occurs and what Job's response is, needs to be, and becomes. I said last week, you know, that we all live in a world where we have to understand there are things we control, things we don't control. said that there are times when one of the biggest ways that people are dying today, we said, are at intersectional accidents, which really would have been controllable had the person looked before they pulled off. 
But unfortunately, they didn't, and they ended up dying in a car wreck or something. But there also, we said, things we don't control. And Job is a story where we get to see or this uh, recitation of facts that occurred that we get to see a man not in control of the circumstance. The Bible explains to us, actually, that Job was doing well. Job was one of the richest men around. Job had all kind of cattle and things and a family and all this stuff. Job was praying every day for himself and his kids. Job covered the waterfront with approaching God and dealing with God, and his life seemed to reflect that in terms of what it is that you would expect maybe God to be doing. In the first chapter of Job, we find God sitting on his throne and Satan coming and presenting himself amongst the angels and God asking him where he's been. Not that he doesn't know, but God is inquiring and he says, I've been going up and down in the earth. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? So it appears then that God is the one who brings up Job. God is the one who puts Job out there on the radar, if you will, but we realize that the devil is aware that Job is there because his response back to God is, yeah, I see him and I understand everything you're saying, but the problem is I can't get to him because of the fence you've built around his life. So now listen to that, y'all. You've got to always remember. So that, we now see what? God had literally built a fence around Job's life so that the enemy could not touch him. But when God then brings him up, the devil says, the reason that he's like he is and the reason that he deals with things like he does is because I can't get to him. And then he basically tells God, the only reason this guy worships you or deals with you is because you block and protect his life. So God says, fine. You can go and have, do whatever you're going to do, except you can't touch Job. Well, in the next several verses, Job loses all of his children. He had 10 of them. And all of his worldly possessions, gone. Now, I'm never and have never been critical of Job in my life because that had been it for me right there. I'm pretty sure I'd have just, I'd have lost it. I wouldn't understand what that's about. I mean, his kids, all of them are dead, and all of his possessions are gone. That's a lot to put on a person. But the Bible says that even in that, Job did not wrongfully charge God. He said out of his mouth, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amazing and astounding profession. So the devil goes back and God asks him again, have you considered my servant Job? Now God's seen everything that's happened already. And he says, yeah, I did. He said, you see how he holds his integrity even though you have caused me to move my hand against him. See, God's not doing it, but what, by God taking down the wall, God is acknowledging that, yeah, I'm sovereign. I am really the only reason he got to him. But then he removes, he says, and he says, you see what he's done. He says, yeah, 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 but 
A man will do anything for his life. He says, let me touch him, and he'll curse you to your face. In the next verses between chapter 2, 7, and 10, Job loses his health. The devil strikes him with these boils, and Job gets out and scrapes himself in such a way that his wife comes in and looks at him and says, why do you hold to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Job's response again, amazing response, that should we just receive from God good things and not the bad things? Job then, the Bible says again, did not lose his integrity. You see it on the screen there in verse 10. In all this did not Job sin with his lips. So the Bible is saying to us that everything that Job has said so far, he's not said anything wrong out of his mouth. When all of his children were killed and all of his stuff was taken, he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Bible says in that he did not charge God wrongfully. So in other words, he recognized God's sovereignty in what was happening, even though what? God could have done something different, but there's something else that's going on here. Then the Bible tells us in chapter 3, a turn of circumstances occurs. Job had been going through this for some time, and in Job chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, we read this. After this, opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spake and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born. And the night in which it was said, there is a man-child conceived. Job has finally broken. His family was killed. All of his possessions lost. He stayed strong. He lost his health. He stayed strong. But it didn't come back immediately. Things were happening. And finally, Job had all he could take in his flesh. And the Bible says Job opened his mouth and he cursed his day. He didn't curse God. He cursed his day. And by cursing his day, he basically says, what was the point of my life at all? I would have been better a stillborn child. And after a while, Job goes through a whole series and he talks, and then his friends show up, and his friends begin to say to Job, come on, Job, when you had it going on, you used to tell everybody how it worked. You told everybody about God, told everybody how wonderful. But now that you're catching it, you're upset, and you're mad, and you're angry. And that goes on for a while. Then another man shows up, none of Job's friends, and he begins to talk to everybody and explain to them, y'all got God all mixed up in the whole situation. Y'all don't have a clue what's going on. The best thing you can do is probably shut up because God is God. Let God do what he do. Finally, he sits down, then God shows up. And God then begins to rail on Job, basically saying, what's up, man? You don't, you don't, have it. You don't know what's going on. You have no clue what's going on. And God said, will you make me unrighteous in order to uphold your own righteousness? 
In other words, you're, you're basically saying there was nothing good about the praying you were doing. There's nothing good about everything you did that even though it brought all these blessings into your life, now that you've been hit like this, you're saying none of it mattered and blah, 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 and you're cursing your day. And God's like, hey, wait a minute. I, I need to get in this now. God spends some time dealing with Job, and after he's through dealing with Job, Job says, you know what? I see myself now, God. I recognize it, and I repent. And God then, the Bible says, turned Job's captivity, told his friends, y'all were all wrong. Y'all had it all wrong. There was a battle going on up here in heaven. Job was just the gladiator in the ring, and y'all were thinking he had sinned or done something wrong, but no, he was in a fight. And you all were wrong to talk about that. But Job, you were wrong to judge it the way you did. But now he said, I'm going to have Job pray for y'all. And if Job pray for y'all, I'll accept his prayer. And then I'll turn the captivity. And the Bible says that Job's wealth and his, he was given more children. His daughters were the most beautiful in the land. He was given all children. But we can't forget that what? The 10 kids he had, they're gone. Yeah, the money, he got it back, and the cattle, he got it back. And we say that all the time about things that we are able to get back. But he can't get back those 10 kids. The Bible says that he spent time, he would pray every day that those kids would not be taken away because of something they might have done. He said, my kids, you know, they like to party, doing things. Maybe they forgot God or something in their hearts, so let me offer up sacrifice for them. And then when everything happened to him, all the calamity, he lost everything, and all of his kids were dead, he said, the thing I feared the most has come upon me. This is why he was coming to God. This is why he's praying, seeking him. This thing that I feared the most has now come upon me. Now, in the book of James, in James chapter 5, in verse 10 and 11, we find again a very interesting statement being made by the apostle as he's writing to the church in James chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. He says, Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Now, Part of my inquiry yesterday as I was talking to different people was I said, you know, in having discussions and in, in, in trying to establish God's, uh, if you will say, unreproachable character and his undeniable goodness in everything and in all things and his sovereignty and his almighty power, sometimes it can come off as if the people who are suffering, something's wrong with them, let's say. You don't have enough faith. Or if you had the faith, you could get to God. If you had the faith. Now, I do believe that I've said it over and over. If Jesus Christ was standing anywhere, he's always and always showed compassion and healing. We said, but while we're here we don't understand all of what's going on. We don't know what all is happening. We know, like today, when we do communion, we know the Bible says that there are some who are weak, sick, and some die early because they won't judge themselves. We know that. 
But we also know that the Bible tells us we should resist the devil and flee. And he will flee. The Bible says that some things are happening because the devil has gotten involved and he's trying to mimic up something. But the reality is when it's all really said and done, when a person partakes of this meal like we will today and they feel that they have done what God has asked them to do, they have the right to stand on God's word. But we talked last week about the, the man whose kid had been thrown in the fire and then into the furnace and then the fire and, and he was drooling and foaming at the mouth and he came to Jesus saying, your disciples could not heal him. Can you have compassion on us and do something? Jesus said then to him, okay, if you can have faith, anything is possible. He says, I believe, just help my unbelief. Today I want to talk about a message I'm entitling, The Throne of Grace. The Throne of Grace. What I'm hoping will happen when I get to the end, my thesis anyway, is that grace is God's divine influence upon our hearts and its reflection in our lives. Grace is God's divine influence upon our hearts and its reflection in our lives. In the book of Hebrews, we read about our great high priest. In Hebrews 11, 4, 11 through 16, we read about Jesus, our great high priest. The Bible says that God, in mimicking the ministry of Jesus in heaven, had high priests on the earth who basically were there as a shadow of the things to come of the real high priest who's in heaven, who has an endless life, and because his life is endless, he is able then to help us on a continual basis. In other words, Jesus will be your high priest until you die. Jesus was high priest when you were born. He'll be high priest when you die. He'll be high priest when others are born and die. He's been high priest for thousands of years now because he has an endless life continual life. The Bible says that the high priest that you saw in the temple were temporary because they too had infirmities and problems and things and were, could commit sin. And so they had to offer up sacrifices first for themselves, then for the people. God says Jesus doesn't have to do that. Jesus offered up himself And when he did that, he became the high priest who now is on the throne of grace. Now, I want to talk about this thing I'm saying, God divine. So as I've preached and as I've been, I tear into this thing about faith and tear into it. You know, if you're not careful, like I said, and I want to be cautious, so I ask, people could get discouraged. They can reach a place where it's like, well, you know, God... I, I can't reach God. And, and, and just like this guy, it was impossible to believe. But that's why even last week we saw the disciples who had walked with Jesus, who Jesus had given power to, could not heal that boy. Only Jesus was able to do it. And he did. So now we're here and we're living on a planet and we keep seeing things happening and stuff going wrong and people getting sick and people die and all kind of stuff happens. But in that... We have to understand something. 
Like I said, my sister passed when she was 45. I'm not, I can't sit here and lie and say I don't miss her. That would be a lie. I'd be sitting, you know, I'm not going to come in here and try to tell you people that you've lost in life or things that you've lost in life. Now, things we can always get back. You tell me you lost some money. Okay, we'll get it back. Well, you know, you can make money back. But you tell me you lost a loved one or something of this nature to something. That's a different issue. And we don't go to God and all of a sudden we're just all happy and we're just going to be happy and forget about it. People lose children. All kind of things happen. In other words, when Job lost those kids, you cannot say that didn't happen. You know, Brother Robert kind of, we were talking and that kind of snapped in my mind as we were talking about it. Those kids are gone. Irrespective of why they're gone, they are gone. And like I said last week, we have to take the text for what it says. God didn't raise them children from the dead. But obviously, God gave Job grace to continue on. It's just like what happened when David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then the baby got sick. And David kept fasting and praying that the baby might live, but the baby died. Then all of a sudden, David got up, washed his face, and went to go eat. And the people said, what's wrong with him? He's crazy. You know, the baby was, while the baby was alive, he was fasting and all this. And now that the baby's dead, he didn't wash his face. He says, well, I can't bring the baby back. So, but in order for him to do that, God had to extend to him some grace. So what I'm saying now is that even in the midst of trouble, while we're waiting, if it is, on our miracle, as we say sometimes, as we're pressing through, because we see Paul what I have always tried to emphasize is that we don't want to take this set of verses to suggest that Paul, Jesus was saying to Paul, I gave you this with no reason. Because that doesn't say that. Paul knows the reason even why he has his thorn, uh, thorn. Because of his revelation, his power, his ability as an apostle. And God says because of this, when, when Paul went to Lystra and a couple of other places, they, they did miracles, and the people wanted to sacrifice and worship Paul. Paul could have right then taken advantage of these people and all of a sudden done what? Made himself a little god on earth. Now, he's going to die and go to hell, but the bottom line is that what? He could have made himself a little god. These people want to worship and sacrifice and all that to Paul. And Paul said, wait, y'all got this all wrong. God is who y'all need to be sacrificing to. God is the one who worked the miracles. God is the one who did this, not me. God is trying to deliver you from all this stuff. But what we see in what Paul says is this. Let's go back to Hebrews and let's take a look at it. Hebrews chapter 4. I want to talk about rain down, huh? Hebrews chapter 4. And let's take a look at verse 16 a little more closer. It says... Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So this morning, I'm, I'm on the other side of the equation. I'm talking to the people, to the person, whoever it is that's struggling, going through whatever the case might be, whatever they're doing, as they're hearing and knowing that God is in heaven, 
God is the one that controls everything. God can do anything he wants to do when he wants to do it. But it doesn't appear he's doing it for me. And I believe I have faith in God. We're not here to question whether you have it or not today. We don't care about that today. We're talking today about the throne of grace. The Bible says that let us come to the throne of grace where we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in other words, as I'm struggling, I'm going through, and I'm hearing about this, and I'm wondering about my life. Why is this happening to me? Why me? Why? Or whatever I'm doing. And there may be right to ask that question. I'm not disputing that at all. We don't even want to talk about that. Because Job, if anybody, that's why in chapter 3, Job went after himself because he knew he couldn't go after God. But even in that, God tried to get Job to understand something. Even in going after yourself, you're going after me. Because I created you. I made you. You're my child. And when you start saying, curse the day I was born, that'd be like your own child. Imagine that. You know, you, 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 you and your child are not getting along. And they close the door of their room and they just start talking. And they say something like that. Curse the day that I was born. I should have been stillborn baby instead of born into this world. And they just keep going and laying it on. And you are the parent in the other room thinking, oh my God, what? If you look at what happened with Job, he got there though, but we're not going, just like Peter, I don't ever mess with Job. I don't mess with Peter, I don't mess with Job. Because I already know when, when I, I, I've said this to people, I'm talking about it, when Peter was in the garden with Jesus and 600 Soldiers came along with uh, Judas. And Jesus, I think what got Peter really going was when Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. They fell down. Well, Jesus, Peter knew who he was with. They got back up. Jesus said, who are you looking for? Well, Peter whips his sword out and cuts off somebody's ear. So Peter, Peter don't mind fighting. Peter wants to fight. Peter the kind of guy you want to go to a fight with. Jesus, the guy you don't want to go with. Jesus says, hey, man, stop. <laughs> Put your sword back up. He heals the guy that's about to take him away and says, <laughs> we're not going to do it like that. That's the only way we know how to fight. So Peter gets his stuff and he, he runs too, like everybody. And then when he gets around and Jesus, they say, don't you know him? He's like, I, I, no. I don't even think I'd have showed up. You know, I, I mean, Peter, the only reason they could ask him again was because Peter went close to see what was going on with his master. He loved him like that. I, I probably would have just, just stayed gone because I, I don't want to be nowhere around this. I don't know what's about to jump off because this is crazy to me, maybe. But I know that's probably what it would have done. Job, the same thing. Oh, my God, I just cannot even fathom in one day losing all your kids. So you got to think about, think about that now. Your kids, if y'all got kids, one day you lose all of your kids and you lose everything you own, all of it. 
and Job still didn't curse God. Job still didn't say anything wrong when it was all over. But see, most people, I'm not going to say y'all, most people, I'm saying, most people by that time start questioning whether there even is a God. You know? And then they will begin at times to rail on themselves because they look at other people's lives and they start wondering, what did I do wrong? Why me? Why can't I have this? Why am I that there? And, and they feel that way, and I understand it. God understands it. You know, that's why the Bible says here, we have a high priest that has not been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. If you think about it, people say, well, Jesus wasn't sick. That's true. Jesus never was sick. Okay? As a son of God, he wasn't sick. But the Bible declares, you know, Mel Gibson tried to do in the Passion film, Mel Gibson tried to do a real rendition of what the Bible says. And they would not even allow him to put that film out because the Jesus in that film had been beaten so bad that he was disfigured and all kind of stuff. And they wouldn't allow him to even show, put the movie out. Why? Because nobody wants to think about that kind of Jesus. But the Bible says in Isaiah, he was disfigured beyond recognition. So they beat Jesus so bad, and they hit him with whips and all the stuff they did to him, such that they disfigured his body to the point where you couldn't really recognize him. So when the Bible says that he's, we have a high priest who's been touched with the feeling of our infirmities, it doesn't matter what we suffer when it's all over, Jesus has suffered more. Not only did it happen when he didn't deserve it. He was a perfect man, had never done anything wrong, was the son of God, had done nothing but good the whole time he had been here, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, only to be beat to that point of unrecognition. So the Bible, though, says that he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we're healed. So when the Bible says we have a high priest who's been touched with the feeling of our infirmities, he's been tempted in all points like us, yet without sin. I read to you from Psalm 91. We'll go back over there. Psalm 91, I read to you Psalm 91. And in Psalm 91, at verse 11 through 16, I read to you the verse that says, verse 11, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Then when we were in Luke, in chapter 4, we saw that the devil used the Bible on Jesus. Luke chapter 4, when we were looking at Jesus being tempted by the devil, Luke chapter 4, we see, let me get over there, the devil using the Bible. Luke chapter 4, and we looked at verse 11. Well, let's look at verse 10. Well, no, I'm sorry. Let's start at 9. And he brought him to Jerusalem. The devil brought Jesus to the Jerusalem in the spirit, and we assume in his flesh, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, took him to the top of the, pinnacle, to the temple, 
and said unto him, If you are the Son of God, jump off of here. For it is written, that's Psalm 91, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. So in other words, Jesus the devil takes the psalm that promises all of these blessings and throws it at Jesus and says, if you really are who you claim to be, then jump off of here because the word says God will catch you and his angels will keep you. And then Jesus basically threw it back at him. The word also says don't tempt God. See, folks, we need to understand that the word is, I mean, it's, the word is full. It's, it's, there's so much in it. It's so difficult to really know from cover to cover what, what moment you're in, what part of the intergalactic warfare is going on at any time. But we know the word is there to comfort us and to give us instruction on what to do when we don't know what to do. So we do know that the Bible says Jesus is our high priest. He's been tempted like we have. If you look at Psalm 91 again, where we were, I'm going to go back over there. When you get through the verses that he used to try to tempt Jesus, you get down to verse 14 and look at what it says. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. If you look at verse 14, and then we're going to look at 15 again with 14, look at what it says. I will deliver him. All right, so let's think about this for a minute. Obviously, this is saying that there's going to be a time that even with all of this protection, even with all of this stuff going on, that God's people need deliverance. So to suggest at all that a life of faith is a life without the possibility of struggle just wouldn't even be right. To suggest, which is why I'm saying if somebody on the other end was hearing that, you know, you have faith but you're not getting this and you're not dead, you must not have it. That's not what you need to hear. What you need to hear is the throne of grace. We've got to get to the throne of grace. It's kind of like I was reading about a swimmer. They said it was a swimmer once who they had told him he needed to work out as hard as he can, so he was swimming back and forth in the pool, swim, 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 push, push, push. He said, and all of a sudden his whole body cramped. And y'all know what happened, right? He sunk to the bottom of the pool. Not only did he sink to the bottom of the pool, but he could not get to the edge of the pool. You know how they tell you, if you can't swim, just do whatever you can, just get to the edge. If you get to the edge, you grab, you can hold yourself on. But his whole body cramped. He just fell to the bottom of the pool. So he literally was down there drowning. And the only reason he didn't drown was because there were people out there who jumped in and pulled him out and asked asked him what happened, what they could tell, because his body was stiff and stuff, but he could have just died. But the point is that in his thought process of 
swimming back and forward. It is true that normally getting to the edge works. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It works. He's a skilled swimmer. He knows how to swim. Probably swam many times without anybody out there. But this one time, when he decided to do what he did and he ended up going to the bottom, the fact that people were there helped to bring him back up and get him to the edge. The throne of grace to me, you all, is like that edge. You, you got to see yourself. Sometimes this is how we have to see ourselves. You know, we're like the swimmer, you know, and in life, sometimes things happen. And we don't really know what's going on, but we know one thing. We at the bottom of the pool. And for some reason, if somebody don't get in here, we going to drown. That's how it feels. That's what's going on. Uh, my business is going under. Uh, my Whatever the case might be, a sickness, things that happen in people's lives. But we know we know God, just like this man knew. I know I how to swim. I, I'm a lifeguard. I'm all of that, right? But right now, you are in need, brother. <laughs> You're in need. And when you are in need, God did not say in that verse, let's look, now, you need. This is what we need to understand about this. In the book of Hebrews, let's go back there again when we're talking here about the throne of grace. Let's, let's see this. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible tells us before we get there about the throne of grace, it tells us that we don't want to be like the Israelites were. And when we hear God's voice, we harden our hearts and we have an evil heart of unbelief. He says, when you're going through and we're struggling and things are happening, what I need you to understand is that we need to labor that we might enter into the rest that God has for us. Look at Hebrews uh, chapter 4, verse 11. He says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Then the verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, let us hold fast to our profession. See, in other words, when trouble is hitting, see, with, with, what, what I should do if I was Job, if I was Job, I wouldn't. I'm saying Job, obviously, in chapter 1 and chapter 2 was doing this. Was well, that chapter 3 that he let go of the side of the pool. But I'm not here. I, I already told y'all. See, I'm trying to be very cautious nowadays. I want to make sure I'm being clear. I ain't make it to, I wouldn't have made it to the side of the pool. I'm sure if I was Job, I don't have a two kids. And if they, if they called me up and told me both of them got, just got killed, I, I, y'all don't need to lose the rest of my stuff. That right there probably make me be like, what? You know, but then, then on top of that, all your money gone. I mean, you know, it, it just, it's just incomprehensible to me, that situation. But Job obviously somehow held on to God. And what we have to realize is it wasn't Job's strength, though. That's where we get it mixed up. And even if it was, this is why it collapses in chapter 3. See, there's some people who can take a lot of stuff. 
know, they just, they go through a lot of stuff. You know, I mean, they were raised hard anyway. So they go through, they, they, they tough, they rough. But there's some things that can break any people and anybody. And we have to understand that God is trying to get us to understand, I'm not the one trying to break anybody. But what happens is when these things are occurring, in order for us to get to God and even to make it through, we got to get to the high priest. Because if we don't, we can't get the grace we need to make it. I know people who have lost loved ones, and they still have yet to let it go. They live depressed. They stay depressed. They have never been able to recover from the loss. The problem is you have to go on with life. But you can't go on with life, I don't think, without sufficient grace being given to you from God. We go to the throne and we ask God for this grace. Because the Bible says in Hebrews, it says this, that we might obtain mercy. See, in other words, God looks at us. Remember we said God is pitiful, not him, us. He pities us. God looks at us, he says, man, they're but flesh. I pity them. And because I do, I want to extend a hand to them. And even though you got to think about it, that's why death is, 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 is a pretty good example. Because in death, it's not like you can bring anything back. It's one thing when you lose your business, lose some stuff. But, but death, you don't bring people back. They're gone. You can't bring them back. So what you need is the helping hand, the grace extended by God to us so that we can do what? Continue to move forward and live out our lives, understanding that this is what it's about. But although it may not come to pass the way we want it to come to pass, the reality is God is there because what he's trying to do is to help us along the way. The Bible says in so many places that it is not God's desire to hurt his children. He says just like an earthly father disciplines his children, but we do it for our benefit, you know, so that they will grow up and represent us, uh, grow up and be okay with themselves, uh, go to school and act right, so I don't have to get called to school. You know, we do it for our own. But God says he does it so we can be partakers of his holiness. God wants us to be there with him. That's his real desire. And once we understand how the world is structured and how things happen, we then can see that grace can only come through God's compassion. I mean, you see what's funny about this? I remember when I was growing up and we were doing math and stuff like that, they always told you that both sides of the equation have to be what? Equal. One plus one equals two. If the other side does not have the right answer, the equation is imbalanced. It's not balanced. It's wrong. So it has to equal, you know, it has to be balanced. Two times three equals six. And anytime you want to find what's missing, you have a way to, to do that. So if it's six times x equals 18, you have to move the X 
and put it on the other side of the equation to find out what belongs there so that you can what? Have it balanced. 18 divided by 6, or whatever the case might be, whatever the equation is. When it's over, think about God. Man, this is, this is, this is so awesome. Think about this. God is on both sides of the equation. In other words, God is the one who set in motion when it was over what happened with Job because it could not have happened unless God said it was okay. But it did not happen until it happened because God said it wasn't okay. In other words, God built the fence around Job. God took the fence down. Job said what Paul told all of us to understand. I came, it's what he said, after his kids were gone and all of his stuff. I came naked into the world and I'm leaving naked. The Lord gave it, the Lord took it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So in other words, God's grace kicked in for Job to be able in that moment to make the right confession about God. He was able to say with impunity, because the Bible says he didn't sin, with impunity, the Lord gave it and the Lord takes away. And I'm always, like I said, I, that's why I keep reiterating it, I just don't understand that because we don't understand the grace of God. The Bible says in one place, God can give peace that passes all understanding. Things happen that we just can't, and God can give us peace through that. Now, unfortunately, for most people, we really don't like to major in this stuff. Because most people would like to just kind of stay in the away from stuff in general, because it's better to just live life and hope none of this happens. But you know, Sister Lori and I, we went to this rehab place the other day to visit someone. And as I looked at all of the people that were in the wheelchairs and kind of broken and just trying to get around and all of that, one older lady, she was like, I'm going home. And I asked the lady, well, where's she going? She actually was going back to the nursing home. But she was excited just to get out of there. But she was in a little wheelchair and everything. And as I looked at all these people, I thought to myself, at one time, these people probably were doing it having their life in front of them, doing all right. And now today, they're struggling. They're in here doing what they have to do as best they can. But grace can keep them through even that. That's the idea. As I kept looking at it, I was thinking, hmm, you know, it's one thing to walk up to somebody and say, well, you know, Jesus can heal you, right? But then if you like the disciples of Jesus, some people say, well, God don't even do that no more. Well, let's put it on the side. Let's assume that he did. But you, you like them disciples, and you, 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 you can't get it done. Grace, at least, people should be left to understand. Grace, that's what I'm saying. If God, if God didn't do it, you know, he's on this side. His sovereignty allows it. But on this side, God says, come to me. See, see listen to me. If, if God tells you to come to him, it's obviously he ain't trying to hurt you. God says, come to me, and I will grant you grace so that because of my mercy, you're down and out for the count. 
Doesn't matter why. That's not the point. You're down and out for the count. God says, come to me, and I have compassion on people, and I give grace to deal with where you are. We might scream, not y'all, but I might scream, God, but why am I where I am? Why can't I be somewhere else? That's not the question, Job. The question is, will you receive my grace? Because you don't know what's going on. See, what Job, man, I bet you when Job died, now, again, I don't know if it's Judgment Day or when all of the uh, replay plays, but I bet you Job is going to be some shocked to find out he was the gladiator in a galactic battle that God challenged the adversary, the most powerful wicked spirit in the universe, and said, what about Job? What? I mean, he's going to probably be just shocked that, that Job, God was the one who put your name in the ring. He had that much confidence in you, and you, 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 you got about five rounds. At least, you know, you got past white would have been. But I'm telling you, in round one, like Mike Tyson say, everybody got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And then all of a sudden, it's like your plan that went out the window. <laughs> you know, I say that. Everybody got faith until they get punched in the mouth. You know, and then all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, hold up. Wait a minute. That ain't what's supposed to be happening. And the reality is, when he gets there and God tells him, oh, yeah, Joe, you was the man. Let's run this replay. Oh, my God. You made it through round one. You made it through round two. And his poor wife, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure God forgave her. She, she looking at everything, too. It's like, come on, Job. Really? You still holding to this God you're talking about? But Job held on until he opened his mouth, and God will say, see, that's, where, that's why I had to come see you right there. See, and he's going to be like, wow. He'll probably be shaking his head because he'll be like, man, if I could have just kept going. Right, but you couldn't. See, that's the whole point. You couldn't, but God had grace on him. God had mercy on him and extended him grace by doing what? Talking to him. See, by God, it's kind of like when your parent intervenes and they, they, they either spank you or they, they, they discipline you, rebuke you, whatever they're doing, it's to correct you. And it may sound like they really don't like you at the moment and you'd rather be somewhere else, but the reality is they're trying to help you understand what you're doing is not right. How you're doing that isn't correct. That's not how I act. That's not how we act. My mama used to say that to me all the time. What's your name? Why do I have to have this name? That's how it feels sometimes. What, what's your, say it! White. White is my name. White. What's your name? Okay, don't go up there acting like you're not. Don't go up there and embarrass your daddy. She used to say that all the time. Don't go up there and embarrass your daddy at school, all right? And I was like, but, okay. And people did know us. I mean, unfortunately, that was true because I remember once I did go around the corner we used to camp out in my backyard, and we had a tent, and we camped out one night. And I, 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 this day, I do now understand why my mama understood why I was stealing eggs um, and throwing them at people's houses and stuff. Because, I mean, right now, I, Sister Lori, if she has, you know, the little eggs, you put them in the refrigerator. If, if you got 12 up there, well, you know one missing. You know, if you had six and you, you know three missing, you know what's in your refrigerator for the most part. Well, I would take them and try to arrange them, 
you know, she got 10 up there, so I'm going to take two, move them around, so maybe she won't know I stole two, so I could go throw them at somebody's house. And I think I may have even told you all this story. So one morning, a friend of mine, two of them, we go on an egg mission, get out the tent, we go around the corner, and we're, we're, we're instead of planning our escape before we go, we planning it while we're standing out in front of people's house. Now, it's like 6 in the morning. All right, I'm going to go this way. You go that way. We're going to do it. Okay, all right, y'all ready? Yeah. Soon as I go back, as I'm coming forward, the man is coming out of his garage. The egg releases, lands perfectly on one of the panes on his window. The egg runs down. It's almost like I can see all that. And I hear him say, got you, white. My other friend was with me. Got you, Ned. And the other one got, didn't know his people. Before I could get back around the corner, my mama was standing outside. Come on, come on. You know, so fussing at me or handling me during that moment wasn't because I was right, even though I might still felt like, well, why are you being so harsh and all that? So God's like, look. If anything is happening right now, that's why when he got on Job about what he was saying to him, he wasn't mad at Job. He was trying to get Job to understand, you are talking about stuff that you don't understand. You're talking about stuff that you don't really know. And you keep talking about curse your day and why this and why that and all the stuff you're saying. And the only reason you're in this battle is because I put you in it and I got your back. Matter of fact, when it's all over, God gave him all the stuff back and more kids. But those kids that are lost, we got it. But God can also give him grace to do what? To make it through. And because I don't, the Bible doesn't say it, so I'm not declaring this is so. But in my mind, I just believe a God like that. Unless Job's children were doing something they really shouldn't have been doing. In my mind, they was just casualties. And I believe Job will see his kids again. That's just my thoughts. I don't know. I can't make that a certain. Uh, but the Bible doesn't indicate they, they died because of something they was doing. It appears that they got caught up in the battle. And they were in the house. And bam. And that was part of Job's life that the devil was allowed to go after. And I don't understand that. And I'm not going to try to understand it. All I want to know is what's in the text. Like I said before, God didn't tell us. So I ain't even trying to explore that. All I know is that God gave him back more children to the point that they say Job's daughters were the most beautiful daughters in the world. I know a person personally who went to St. Jude, lost her daughter to cancer. And years later, she got other children, and she's just as happy a person when you meet her. And, and all she went through it when her, her daughter died and all that stuff. And it was tough. It was rough. She was a Christian, and she believed, and she tried, but the young lady passed. But when it was over, she had more children than others. Now, do I've said it before. Do you think, God, no, I, it's just me. I, don't, I wouldn't buy that if you tried to sell it to me. But I don't know what happened either. I don't know what's happening in the cosmos. I don't know what that's all about, but I know that God is good. We know that, and God's, God's grace has kept her to, instead of her going into the pit, and never being able to come out and move forward with now the beautiful family she has. 
is because what? God's grace. Holding on. You know that song we play? Hold to his hand. God's unchanging hand. God is not going to change. He doesn't change. So we go then to the throne of grace, and then we see Jesus when he's talking to Paul. He says that, I need you to understand something. My grace is sufficient. And when you read that word sufficient, it means all-encompassing. So whatever's on your side of the equation, God can balance it on his side of the equation and most of the time, you're going to find that you're not the one that's doing it because God has to get on your side of the equation. See, this side is the mercy of God. And then God comes on your side of the equation and gives you grace to do what? To follow through. Grace to make it through. Grace to get to where you got to go. I tell people this when you think about the Israelites. If you think about the Israelites, they were in prison, I mean, in uh, slavery for 400 and something years. And you don't understand why, you don't know why, God doesn't tell you exactly why. But I think about that in reference to, say, black people in America. I used to think about this a lot. You hear people talking today and some of the things they're complaining about and all of that. But I tell people, and I had a conversation with somebody yesterday about this, when you think about all the Christians throughout the world who are suffering martyrdom and other things that are happening in their country, being burned at the stake and all kind of crazy things that are happening, I still, as a person born in America and allowed to be in this dispensation as a Christian, can still be thankful to God while I pray for these other people and all these things. And if somebody were to say, why? Because let me explain to you why. God answered the prayers of our people many, many years ago where you could not do what we can do today, where you could not. People may not like it. It don't matter. It ain't about what people like. It's about what we can do. Today, we can go and be doctors. We can go and be lawyers. We can live in neighborhoods that once we couldn't. We can go in restaurants we once couldn't. We can. Why? Because God granted grace. Grace to people who worked hard. Grace to people who worked other people's fields. Grace to people who worked other people's kitchens. Grace God gave to them that we might in this hour stand on their shoulders and stand and be able to do what ought to be done. But sometimes people are so busy complaining, missing out and failing to understand what these people went through, not just 60, not just 100, but 200 years ago, you might not have even been able to walk up any street. Grace, though. In our neighborhoods, the church was the most powerful organism in the community. How, when all that was going on, and today we're like, what? Nothing. We're like a poof. Nobody even cares about church. I mean, I mean, y'all, yeah, obviously. But people don't need God. 
They have gone into the world. They're doing all kind of stuff. They've left the church even. When the church was the place where all of the people rose up, almost every single civil rights leader came up out of the church. You go back and look at all of the people who were doing things, all of them coming up out of the church. It's not a time like when Wesley went in and you try to go up to the altar and pray as a black person and you couldn't even be pray. So they had to go start their own Methodist church. That's where the AME church come from, the African Methodist church. Grace. You know, when we see it and when we understand grace, we get to a place where we begin to kind of cover our mouth a little more. You know, we begin to realize as we're dealing with people and dealing with situations that we need to make sure they understand God's grace. God, look, we may never be able to get his hand for healing. Let's say it don't happen. That don't mean God ain't a healer. We done said that. We have, we have established that. But we also must establish that there's nothing wrong with you. You've got to understand that. If you do not understand there's nothing wrong with you, you then impugn God on the other side of the equation. It's kind of like what God you do with other people. Why did you do this to me? Is something wrong with me? No, there's nothing wrong with you. You've got to reach out for God's grace now. Now, yeah, if you come to this table and you don't do it right, yeah, it might be about you. Because in several places it says, if we sin, <laughs> a sin, the Bible says in one place, if a man, you see a man sin and he don't sin a sin unto death, pray for him. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I'll just leave that alone. I read it and I don't know what a sin unto death is. But it says, I don't ask that you pray for it, because obviously he's going to die. I mean, that must be what that means. But he says, without telling us what it is, that's probably why he doesn't. So we can just pray. We pray for people if they've committed sins. We welcome them back into the house. We do that. That's what it says. So we have to understand. So if I'm sick, if I'm struggling, whatever you're dealing with, understand, yes, we need faith, but you need faith to believe in God's grace. Yeah, you need faith to believe you can get on your knees and that God, when you get up, you're not going to walk away depressed. You're not going to walk away feeling guilty. You're not going to walk away feeling condemned. You're going to walk away strong like Job was strong. You're going to believe God and you'll stand through the test of time. Why? Because God is there and his grace covers it all. To God be the glory. See, to God be the glory. When you look at it, your name gets wiped out on both sides of the equation. It's God and God. God be the glory. When Jesus went through everything he went through, you got to see it that way. If I'm sick and it's hurting, I still got to say, you know what? It don't hurt much as Jesus. Jesus, give me the grace I need. Not to, to, to suggest that I don't have any pain. Faith is not a lie. That's what I told Sister Lord the other day. Faith is not walking around saying, your foot don't hurt. Your foot hurt. <laughs> don't lie. Tell me my foot don't hurt, my foot don't hurt, my foot don't hurt. That's not faith. Your foot may hurt, but you are confessing that what? By Jesus' stripes I'm healed, and I believe that God will bring that healing into my body. That's what you're saying. Faith ain't lying, but I need faith to grab God's grace for sure. When this time of waiting is happening. I pray today that each and every one of you, when you're dealing with people that are going through things and dealing with people that are struggling, let us make sure that as we talk about faith and as we pray, that we continue to discuss 
continue to push and continue to get them to understand that God always has mercy at the throne of grace, that his intention is to give them what they need to make it through no matter what's going on in their lives. Amen. Every head bowed. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you today for our Savior and for his blood. We thank you that the grace of God extends to us and extends in a way that makes it easy for us to recognize that you love us, you care about us, and that in every situation, you are the equalizer on both sides of the equation. Father, we honor you today and we thank you for Jesus. And we ask now that we partake of this communion supper, that we will remember him as we judge ourselves, that we might partake of your promise of strength, health, and long life. And when we walk away from the table having done it, we know then that we have the right to resist the devil in every area of our lives. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. Father, we ask it even now in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.